And if you want to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be reading from there today. Every discussion of faith that we have to talk about and talk about how people lived according to faith in the Bible, it has to start with Abraham and the legacy that Abraham provides for us. Abraham is such a unique individual in the history of faith because the example of faith that he shows us spawned what are called the great monotheistic religions of the world. The religions that roughly 60% of the world's population follows. And these religions are Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And they all point back to this man being the father of their faith and his actions and words that still echo to us thousands of years later. So we're going to read about him today in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents as Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become the a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And Father God, we ask, Lord, that as we continue and, and put the foundation down in our series about faith, the heroes of the faith, that you would help us to see Abraham for who he was and who we should be because of his example. Lord God, be with us today in your name. Amen. Abraham has a special place in the hall of faith as his life was foundation, foundational for the rest of the people who came after him. And what characteristics of Abraham's life led him to be called the father of the faith? There has to be at least a dozen. If you read his life throughout Genesis, you read what the New Testament says, there's probably a dozen, if not more than that. But for the purposes of today, I've narrowed them down to five. And let's look at the first characteristic. The first characteristic of a man who is led by faith is that he is led by God. If you remember what was said in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Interestingly enough, if you were to turn back into your Bible to Genesis 11 and beginning in 12, Abraham himself wasn't the per person initially called to go to Canaan. His father Terah was. And at the end of Genesis 11, beginning of Genesis 12, we see that God called Abraham's father Terah to the promised land. And Terah initially obeyed, kind of. Their starting point was Ur, which if you were to put that on a map of on the modern day world, it'd be about where Kuwait is. And if you were to look at that map if you, and to get to Canaan or where the nation of Israel today, all you have to do is just go straight west across the Arabian desert. But instead, Terah goes northwest, up into what modern-day Syria would be. 
It would be like us to obey a call from God. God appears to you in prayer and says, I want you to go to Winona today and preach the gospel. And we say, okay. And instead of just hopping on 53 down to 54 and go straight to Winona, we decide to go up to Eau Claire and stay there. We never make it to Winona. We just go up to Eau Claire. That's kind of what Tara did. And it's very possible that if he had fully obeyed God, we would be talking about Terah being the father of the faith today instead of Abraham. But Terah fell short in following God. And what we learn from that is that half-hearted obedience to God is not obedience at all. It's rebellion. It's rebellion that says that you know better than God. And when we have this kind of attitude toward obedience with God, it causes us to miss God's mission for your life. It causes us to miss God's presence in your life. And it causes us to miss God's blessing upon your life. That's a three-point sermon right there, isn't it? But where Terah stopped, Abraham followed. And not only did Abraham follow, but the Bible records that Abraham had no idea where he was going. And as I was preparing this message, as I was meditating on Abraham and his obedience of being led by God, and the Bible is very specific to say that he didn't even know where he was going. He was just going to be led by God. I realized that it mirrors our salvation experience, doesn't it? Think for a moment when you got saved. You had to make the same kind of leap of faith that Abraham had to make. Somebody came and told you about this man named Jesus. Somebody came and told you that you're a sinner, that that you needed to be saved by the grace of God. So God called you to leave what you know, your life of sin. He called you to leave what was normal for you, which was sin and, and living in this world. He called you to leave what was comfortable for you and called you to recognize yourself for who you really are, a sinner in need of his grace. So in essence, you and I had that same kind of call of Abraham. Come to Jesus. You may not know him yet, but he loves you. You have no idea why you need him. You just know that you do. Come away from everything that you know right now. Take this leap of faith into the arms of Jesus and accept what he has for your life. Because Jesus' plan for your life is so much better than your plan for your life. Amen? Jesus has a promised land that he calls every one of us to. And it's not just heaven. It's not just that by and by, that ethereal plane that we think we're heading to. He has a promised land right where you are. He has a place that is ready to be flowing with his blessing, flowing with his presence, flowing with his peace, flowing with his joy, and flowing with his provision. But you have to obey. And be like Abraham and take that step toward your promised land. Abraham obeyed the call because Abraham understood the importance of being where God is. He had this singular view of God. And he made this decision in his life to follow him, even if he has no idea where God is going to follow him. Because he knew that God was going to be here. And he had this decision that he made that's beautifully expressed in Psalm 84 that says, It is better in one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. We don't know what it was 
about Haran that drew Terah to settle there. But we know that it was not God's plan for him. But Abraham wasn't swayed by what his father fell into. In his spirit, he knew that even if he went down to Canaan, even if it was a, a land that was filled with wild animals and deadly scorpions and, and nasty snakes, filled with savage tribes that were trying to kill him, it was better for him to be there because God was there. It was better than any luxury he could have seen in Ur. It was better than any luxury he could have had in Haran because the presence of God would be with him. And that's what he was pursuing. And that's why faith follows regardless of sight. After a person accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior, living the Christian faith can be simply described as believing God, believing His plan for you, and believing that God wants what is best for us. That's, it's pretty simple, the, the Christian life, if we just were to boil it down. Romans 8.28 puts it this way, We know that in all things, say all things, all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. I would ask you this morning, have you taken that same leap of faith in your life to follow God, no matter where He leads? The second characteristic of Abraham that makes him the father of faith is the fact that he lived in tents. Hebrews 11.9 says, By faith he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Now what is the significance of him living in a tent? I mean, this is the Bronze Age in Canaan. Didn't everybody outside of major cities live in tents? Well, the answer to that is generally no. People as wealthy and rich as Abraham would set up a homestead and even set up a city that they would rule over. Abraham, however, even though he was promised this land, never set up a permanent residence. Why? That doesn't even really make a lot of sense considering the time that he lived in and the attacks that would come against him. Because Abraham understood that even though this area he's in now is this land flowing with milk and honey, and that's just a Bible euphemism for a blessed land, that it has everything you could ever possibly want or desire, that this land of milk and honey was not his ultimate home. God calls us to specific places in life for specific times. However, when we get to those places... Comfort has a tendency to want to settle us and, and creep into our lives. And we have a tendency to want to stop and live in the comfort, even when the Lord is saying, okay, your time here is over. It is time to now move again. This is just my opinion. I'm not saying this is a thus saith the Lord. This is thus saith John, I guess. I think that after this idea of self-determination, that the greatest besetting sin of your average American is the worship of comfort. People work their entire lives to get more, to save up, and prepare to try to grasp this nebulous thing out there called the American dream, which is to retire early with enough money to live in ease and comfort for the rest of your life. And too many people get 
get sucked into that instead of just simply trusting God. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to prepare for your future. I have a 401k. There's not a lot in it, but it's there. We're, we're trying to save for our future. There's nothing wrong in the Bible throughout the, especially in the Proverbs, encourages you to have things stored up for the future. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm talking about where your eyes are focused. You can't cross the finish line that God has for you if your eyes are so focused on things of this world. God's finish line is him. And it's individual to every single Christian on this planet what that, necess- that finish line is. And that's why anchors, I call them anchors, can be spiritual killers. And I would define an anchor as something that holds your vision low. God created our vision both physically and spiritually to where we can only focus on one thing at a time. And if you're focused on something of this world, you can't focus on what God has for you. The thing you're focused on is your anchor. And if it's something of this world, it's something that is going to try to hold you to your past, especially past failures. It's something that is chaining you up in your presence and hindering your ability to serve God and to follow hard after God. And it is destroying your future reward that Jesus has for you. That's why Abraham lived in tents. Even though he was living in the land God called him to, he was ready to pick up those stakes, pick up those tents, and move on a moment's notice. Oh, that we would learn to trust God like that. The Christian author Max Lucado describes a Christian life as being like being given a train ticket by Jesus. And this ticket is for a long, slow, cross-country train ride to a city you've never heard or been to. And you get on this train. You're directed to the right track. You have nothing to do with that. That's a conductor, the engineers, and the switchman's job. You sit in a seat that is assigned to you. Generally, again, it's beyond your control what seat you sit into. But it's a nice train. You get to talk to the people who are around you, get to share with them, play games with them. You eat the food that's provided for you. And after a while, even though it's a very long train journey, you get accustomed and you get comfortable with your surroundings. And all that is good. All that is is, is a good thing. But when you get to the end of the line, when you get to your destination, you need to get off the train. How foolish would it be for you to stay on this train because you love this train ride so much that you want to stay there? That's what having that kind of anchor to this world does for you. Because our lives aren't about the train ride, it's about the destination. And that's our focus. We can enjoy this journey, but the purpose of any journey is the destination. That's why Abraham lived in tents. He could have set up large homesteads. He could have founded a city and ruled it. But he wanted to be able to follow God's direction on his life no matter when or how that direction came. And that brings us to our third characteristics, is that he trusted God despite all the evidence to the contrary that he should be trusting God. Hebrews 11.11 says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who made the promise. What was the promise? 
Genesis 15, Abraham's wife has been unable to have children. And you know, if you know a woman today that cannot have children, that's something that, that you really feel for them. And especially women just really feel that kind, of, that kind of yearning to have children. But in Old Testament time, that was multiplied times 10. A, per, a woman, even a woman as beautiful as Sarah, would have been considered accursed of God because she could not bear Abraham children. And even though people in Abraham's time, even if they were a little longer lived than those of us today, they still had the same physiological processes going on that sooner or later women become too old to bear children. Things change in their bodies and they can't just do it anymore. And Sarah, when God made this promise, had passed that age decades ago. So one night, Abraham is in prayer to God and he's pouring out his soul. And God tells him, I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. And Abraham, God, how can that be? I don't have any children. My whole estate is going to go on to this Eliezer guy when I die. I have no children. God says, you're going to have a child. Now, to a rational person, any promise that Sarah could be, become pregnant at 80 years old is ludicrous. If, if you were to, to put medical science to that, they're going to look at you and laugh and say, you're crazy. Imagine how much ridicule a person would get if they're 80 years old and they posted this to Facebook. Think about that. Abraham status update. Hey, I'm Abraham. I'm 80 years old. My wife, Sarah, she's 70 years old. And God says we're going to have a child. Imagine how many hits that would get. Imagine the responses that would come in. And it would probably sound something like this. Okay, Abraham, you know, you're a great guy. We know God's blessing is on your life. But you're getting a little bit too old. And, you know, there's this great nursing home over there by Jericho, kind of, that, that takes care of people whose minds are starting to fail. Maybe you should consider of moving your tent a little closer to there. Just saying... I mean, that would kind of be our reaction today, wouldn't it? But the Bible says that Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. What does that mean? It means that right standing with God was imputed to Abraham simply for believing God's word to him. That he obtained right standing with God. And this formed the foundation of faith that you and I live according to even today. Abraham, through an act of simple obedience, restore, restored to us what the devil stole in the Garden of Eden, which was unquestioning faith in God's word. God gives them this incredible promise that even though both of them are well beyond the time that people can normally come together and create life, that Abraham would have a son. But what God didn't tell them about was the waiting period. And I want to touch just a little bit on the waiting period. And I, I struggled with putting this in here just for the length of the sermon and flow and everything, but I think it's important enough that we have to take some time and talk about the waiting period a little bit this morning because maybe somebody needs some encouragement about it. Now, God made a promise, and I would encourage you to really go and study Genesis 15 and get an appreciation to what covenant means to God and how this promise was made and the way it was made. It's a really awesome study. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll preach that someday. 
And the waiting period for Abraham and Sarah grew kind of long. So they decided that maybe God needs a little bit of help. Sarah sends her maid into Abraham's bed to give them a son. And Ishmael was born. Ironically, Muhammad, the man who found the Islamic religion, stated he is a direct descendant of Abraham through Ishmael and Esau. Think of the wars. Think of the carnage. The entire crusades. The destruction that has occurred because of this one instance of not waiting on God's timing. That's a biblical account in Abraham's life. But let me give you an example from my own. In 1999, God called me to the ministry with these words. Study to show yourself approved, and I will make you a minister to my people. That's what he told me. That's how he called me to the ministry. And when God called me to the ministry, I was a a member of a relatively healthy church, about 500 people going there at that point. And my senior pastor at that time was in agreement with my call. He was beginning to to mentor me and help me with my schooling. And he was um, sponsoring me to be credentialed with the Assemblies of God. And I started with the Berean, and I quickly went through the first 11 courses required to achieve the certified ministry credential. And then the church blew up, and he left. Roughly 40% of the church left with him because of the way everything happened. My application for certified minister, which had previously been approved, was rescinded. And it seemed like my ministry career was over before it even began. I'm in limbo at this point. I'm, I'm wondering, did I hear from God? Was that, was that just some weird thing that was in my mind? Did, 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 was this something that God really said to me? Because it just doesn't seem like all this should be happening out here if this is what God wants for me. Then somebody tells me about another local church in the area whose pastor had retired. That church, half of it was going to be absorbed by a larger church, and the other half left that group, and that group needed a senior pastor. They heard some good things about me, and they wanted to talk to me about becoming their senior pastor. And I'm thinking... Wow, it's like God closed this door here, but then he immediately opened up another one. So this has to be God. That's what I'm thinking. And so we set an appointment and decided to meet with the two people that are on their board. And we meet at a local restaurant, and two people come to the meeting. The person I had been talking to on the phone, actually, as I was sitting here thinking about this, reminds me a little bit of Conrad a solid Christian man who would love me, support me, and help me pastor that church. And then there was the other guy. The other guy was the main worship leader. This guy is confrontational, arrogant, openly stated he would not follow my leading. He said that I'm a Christian. I can hear from the Holy Spirit as well as you do. You don't get to pick my songs. You don't get to tell me when it's time to come up and preach. When I tell you you can come up and preach, you come up and preach. He then went on to bash several area pastors, just saying, all these guys, that guy's a cheat. That guy's a liar. That guy's a scoundrel. He's of the devil. Just ranted and raved at the table. Needless to say, it was kind of an interesting dinner and meeting. And I thanked him for the offer, and I told him, I'll talk to my wife, and I'll pray about it. On my way home, I went for a little bit of a drive. I ended up down by Lake Michigan, where I used to go to pray a lot. It's kind of nice. It's kind of like being on the ocean, because it's such a big lake, and the waves coming in. And 
just really seek God sometimes down there. And I'm trying to talk myself into accepting the position. God said no. Right there said no. I said, God, what you called me to is right here in front of me. God said no. And I tried to reason with God. I said, God, but, but you know, this door's open, and, and I know I could grow this church, and all, and all this kind of thing. God said no. So I tried to mentally arrange a list of the positives and negatives in my mind about taking this position and take that to God, and God said no. So I drove home to talk it over with Tammy, and she said no, and that ended the discussion. I'm just kidding. Over the course of about 10 days in prayer, I accepted God's no and let them know. Two years later, we ended up at Prayer House under Ron Auk, who many of you met. Which, according to that worship leader, was the biggest liar, the biggest cheat, and the biggest scoundrel of them all. Because he was the church that absorbed the other church. Ron took over where the other pastor left off. He put me in a pastoral staff position and over nine years helped me mentored me, loved me into becoming ordained with the Assemblies of God. If I had accepted that position, it would have been an Ishmael in my life, trying to help God with his plan for my life. And it taught me a valuable lesson. Don't settle for Ishmael if he has promised you Isaac no matter how long it takes. God will always come through. Always come through. He always has and he always will. And God came through in Abraham's life by giving him the son Isaac. And that brings us to our fourth characteristic. And that was Abraham was willing to put his dreams to death for the sake of God. By faith, Abraham, when, te when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice he who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Most of us know this historical account and how it's a beautiful picture of what God did for us. And that is the sacrifice his one and only son. God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering, and Abraham doesn't hesitate. Now, some of us have, have the wrong idea about Isaac at this point. We think he was like a five-year-old boy. No, he was between 17 and 30 years old, so he has to be kind of a willing participant in this. And it's a three-day journey to the mountain. That was three days for the enemy to sow doubt in Abraham's mind. Three days for Abraham to rethink this. Three days for Abraham to turn around and say, I'm not doing it. But he doesn't. He tells his son, carry wood. And they lay down and die on that wood because I told you to do it. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like what God called Jesus to do? The father asking the son to carry the wood he would die on? Is it any wonder why Abraham is called the father of our faith? 
Because he demonstrated exactly for us what Father God did when Jesus went to the cross. The only difference is when Jesus was on that wood, no one said stop. In Jesus' case, figuratively speaking, the knife fell and he died for you and me. Finally, the reason that Abraham is the father of our faith is because Abraham was an altar builder. In Abraham's life, the altars he built were not places of sacrifice. They weren't places where he would just simply do a religious exercise and feel good about himself and walk away. No, no, no. These were places of remembrance. When Abraham and his journeys would pass by this altar again, he would remember that God met me here. He would remember God provided for me here. He would remember that God somehow showed himself right as I needed him to show himself in a way that I needed right there. He showed himself to me right there. He comforted me there. God showed himself mighty in my life right here. And that is why we need to emulate him. We need to be altar builders in our life. Having places of remembrance that point to God's goodness and faithfulness in our lives. We watched the war room a few weeks ago, and I was impressed about Miss Clara's putting answered prayers up on her wall to remind her about the goodness of God. Every one of us should have a prayer journal. I used to keep a, a prayer journal, and God convicted me as I was preparing this message to have a prayer journal again. Because we need to have these altars. We need to have these examples of how God has answered prayer. We need to have examples of how God has moved in our lives. And we have to remember these things. Because that is how we get into a heart of worship of our King. I would conclude this morning by reading verse 16 in Hebrews. Let's all stand. Hebrews 11.16 says, Instead, they, all these people in the hall of faith, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, and if I could pray this over us right now, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has made a city for him. And Father God, I would ask, that you would do that in our lives right now, that these same characteristics that Abraham showed can be placed within our hearts, be placed within our spirits, be placed within our very lives.